When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Monday, July 6th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Scientists have discovered insects that have retained their shine after 99 million years. How to properly read an election poll, plus a little on Kanye West's presidential campaign, after perhaps the most explosive 4th of July in decades here in the States, is America now running out of fireworks? And the most American thing ever happened in Alaska over the weekend. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Starting today with a discovery scientists have made based on 99 million year old insect fossils preserved in amber. But don't worry, the discovery is not that they were able to extract dinosaur DNA from the preserved blood-sucking insects. Not this time. No, the researchers at the Nanjing Institute of Geology and Paleontology were able to uncover something fossils usually can't tell us. The original colors of the specimens. In a new paper published in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society B, the team describes three ancient insects they found that are perfectly preserved in amber, including their original coloring and iridescence. Quoting Popular Science, The insects can be dated back to the Cretaceous period, which occurred 99 million years ago. The animals were all preserved in pieces of amber from a mine in northern Myanmar. The insects, a beetle, a fly, and a wasp, are so well preserved in the amber that their true color could be identified. The way that the color is preserved in these things is really remarkable, says James Lamsdell, a University of West Virginia paleobiologist who was not involved in the research. There have been reports of color in the fossil record before, but often what we're looking at is not the true color because it's been changed by the fossilization process. In instances where the color is questionable, Lamsdell says scientists gather clues from the cellular structure of the exoskeleton and extrapolate what the color probably was. But in this case, the iridescent structural color of these insects remained visible after the researchers prepared the specimens, a process that involves carefully polishing the amber until the insect bodies are nearly exposed, and in some cases, setting it against a light. Blue, green, and purple iridescent colors are all clearly visible in the specimens, end quote. And while it's certainly a cool discovery and worth checking out the photos of, link in the show notes, Lamsdell notes that the acquisition of these specimens is concerning. Amber mining in Myanmar, lucrative as it is, causes intense conflict, and many researchers disagree with the practice, even in the name of science, on ethical grounds. This year, representatives of the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology signed a letter asking academic journals to cease the publication of any papers whose findings were based on so-called Burmese amber. Thank you. 
This past week, there's been a proliferation of U.S. presidential campaign poll numbers making headlines, most of them showing Vice President Joe Biden with a sizable lead over President Trump, but the polls really vary. And as many people are quick to point out, polls have been wrong in the past. Most polls showed Secretary Clinton with a significant lead in the days leading up to the 2016 election. Putting too much stock into polling numbers or just reading the clickbait polling number headline without digging into the details of the poll itself can be misleading. And while outlets are unlikely to get their act together with this clickbait, we as readers can at least practice a bit of media literacy and critical thinking whenever we see these numbers blown out of proportion. So I thought I would take a moment today to share some pointers from Wired on how to properly read an election poll. First, take into consideration the margin of error, which is usually somewhere between 3 and 5 percentage points. So if a poll says one candidate is polling 2% better than the other, that means hardly anything. Second, look at the source of the poll, and don't ever trust a poll that comes from a campaign itself or a popular poll on a website. Jennifer Stromer Galley, who researches digital politics and campaigning at Syracuse University, told Wired, quote, A convenience poll on a website asking who you think is going to win on election day isn't a random sample, end quote. The kinds of poll sources that you should be looking for are universities, national polling firms, and respected news media, who indicate some background on the poll other than just saying, our website's visitors. I personally recommend RealClearPolitics.com, which collects polls from all the major sources like Gallup, Marist, Reuters, YouGov, etc. You can search by race, location, and candidates so you can get a quick comparative lineup from all of the reputable polling sources. Quoting Wired, Other key factors to consider are sample size and sampling method. According to Stromer Galley, 1,200 respondents is a good size for a national poll using a random sample of Americans. Also consider who the respondents are. Polls tend to either sample all adults, registered voters, or likely voters. There is no standard measure of likelihood of voting, says Michael Trogott, who studies campaigns, elections, and survey methods at the University of Michigan. It's the secret sauce of pre-election polling. Because not everyone votes, assessing who is likely to vote is a pretty important part of a meaningful poll. But it's also educated guesswork and biases, methodological and systemic, can creep in. A sample of likely voters, for example, typically skews in favor of Republican candidates because your likelihood to vote depends on factors like age and socioeconomic status and Republican voters tend to be older and wealthier. Sampling methods can also skew the data. If pollsters are calling landlines, they're undersampling Democrats who tend to be younger and more likely to be minorities. A good poll will publish its methodology, the proportion of cell phones to landlines called, its margin of error, its response rate. Bad polls have something to hide, end quote. It's a lot to consider all at once, but honestly, it's no more than we should be doing for just about any piece of media from which we are trying to glean factual evidence. And as Stromer Galley says, quote, At the end of the day, the news media uses public opinion polls to drive stories. They're more a device used by journalists to capture attention around a story than a meaningful, newsworthy piece of information, end quote. In other words, even while using the methods above, don't put too much stock into polls. There are so many places where even the best designed polls can fall short or be misleading. And the most important thing is to vote for a candidate whose policies you align best with. All the rest is just chatter that can ultimately lead to people feeling burnt out and complacent about politics and potentially doing something rash like voting for Kanye West, who, yes, actually announced his candidacy for president on Twitter over the weekend. Don't get too worried about his chances, though. 
Politics journalist Hunter Schwartz pointed out on Twitter that, per Ballotpedia, it's too late for any new candidate to get on the ballot as an independent in Indiana, Maine, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, and Texas. Schwartz also tweeted, and this is still true, I double-checked this morning, quote, The only candidate for president named Kanye West in the FEC database for 2020 at the moment is a Green Party candidate named Kanye D's Nuts West, who's raised zero dollars, end quote. I dug a little more into that candidate on the Federal Election Commission's database. Kanye D's Nuts West's statement of candidacy lists his address as 1977 Gold Digger Avenue. His principal campaign committee is the Back Dat As Up Committee. And he also lists another authorized committee called the Get Crunk Committee. So, I mean, hey, at least one Kanye West presidential candidate out there has filled out the paperwork. So this is mostly just good news if you, like myself, are tired of hearing fireworks going off every single night. I mean, sure, people had their fun on 4th of July, as is traditional, but this has been an issue across all of the United States for weeks, going on months. But there may be an end in sight, at least temporarily. CNN says demand for consumer fireworks is up at least 115% compared to last year. Quote, America's sudden obsession with fireworks came after the pandemic led to mass cancellations of weddings, sports events, and Independence Day shows. That sent demand for the professional fireworks used for large events crashing through the floor. Traditionally, there are 16,000 Independence Day shows across this nation, Julie Heckman, executive director of the American Pyrotechnics Association, said. And we're probably looking at about 10% max going forward. End quote. Bruce Zoldan, CEO of Phantom Fireworks, said that originally, when news of all the canceled major events hit, he was seriously considering filing for bankruptcy because he didn't think he'd be able to sell any fireworks this year. Now, in a span of four weeks, his 1.2 million square foot distribution center has gone from completely stocked to nearly empty. Zoldan also notes that 50% of Phantom Fireworks' recent customers reported being first-time buyers of fireworks. But the fireworks boom might be about to fizzle out because the supply chain cannot keep pace with demand. China supplies more than 90% of the world's fireworks and they stalled production earlier this year. Quoting CNN, China normally ramps up production for fireworks in winter, but this year the pandemic forced most of the factories to close. Chinese exports fell to essentially zero in January, and in the first four months of 2020, the United States imported 35% fewer fireworks than during the same period in 2019. End quote. So let me say that again. The U.S. reported 35% fewer fireworks than in 2019, while demand went up. 115 percent. Interviewed ahead of the celebrations this past weekend, Zoldan said he didn't think there would be many fireworks at all left in the United States by July 5th. On the one hand, this is a shortage that I'm not too upset about if it means at least a brief reprieve from the nightly amateur pyrotechnic shows, but I also hope that the big sales ahead of the shortage will be enough to tide over all the companies who depend on the industry until more fireworks can be imported. Hey 
Ending today with the most American thing that could have possibly happened this past weekend on America's Independence Day. A bald eagle, the USA's national bird, was rescued from a tree by wildlife officials on the July 4th holiday. The bird was stuck in a Sitka spruce tree in the Ernest Gruning State Historical Park, having gotten tangled up in a cable or wire about 40 feet off the ground. Steve Lewis of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service rescued the bald eagle, or as the Associated Press describes it, liberated her on Saturday afternoon. The eagle was then taken via airplane to the Alaska Raptor Center in Sitka to be treated for a possible broken bone. Bald eagle rescues aren't particularly rare, but Kathy Benner, general manager of the Juno Raptor Center, says it's the first one she knows of to have occurred on the 4th of July. And Steve Lewis, who rescued the bald eagle, might consider changing his name to Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, because I can't think of anything more American than liberating a bald eagle from entanglements on the gosh dang 4th of July. So well done, Steve. Before I leave you for the day, I thought I would mention a book that I am currently reading. It's called The Power of Ritual, Turning Everyday Activities into Soulful Practices by Casper Durkheil. And it's not religious mumbo-jumbo or like self-help woo-woo or anything like that. If anything, it's an a-religious examination of how the changing media, technology, and social landscape has affected the way that we all find meaning and community in our lives, as opposed to how previous generations did so. And it suggests ways to find more meaning and community in things that we already do, whether that's CrossFit, bullet journaling, knitting, reading our favorite books, baking bread, riding dirt bikes, whatever. I think that anyone can get something out of it, but if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably someone who has thought critically about the good and the bad of the internet. Maybe you have some opinions about whether it's destroying the fabric of society or bringing us closer than ever. And this book is a really fresh take on that discussion, so I thought I would recommend it. Again, it's The Power of Ritual by Casper Turkeil. Link in the show notes. And that is it for today. I hope you all have a good rest of your day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. 